0: Chapter 20, verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side And the disciples then what? Rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If they retain the sins of any, You have been; they have been retained. May God honor. We got the reading of His Word, but we've got a lot to talk through uh, today about peace. Would you bow with me in prayer, Father? We have already read in Your Word that You give us a peace not as the world gives, but You give a peace that lasts throughout eternity. You give us peace that is not based on circumstances but is based on your power on your own nature and God we stand on that today as we look into your word I pray that you will open up our ears and open up our minds to the message that you might increase and that I might decrease I ask this in Jesus name amen and you may be seated as I preach I try to help you understand how to break down the text in this last chapter there's three times we'll get to the next one next week where Jesus says peace be with you and you can really break down the text into what John's argument is by the same wording coming up over and over again we're going to go through two of them today we're going to answer two questions they are the most important questions that you will ever ask yourself. Number one, are you and am I a disciple of Christ? You say, well, what does that mean? This is what the Bible's way of saying, are you or are you not a Christian? You see, the Bible nowhere ever says the word Christian. It says, if you have surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are disciple so you've got to answer that question we're gonna go through that a little bit and then there's a further question this question is asked of me more than any other question since I've been a pastor and that is what is God's plan for my life how can I know the will of God we're gonna answer that today you're gonna be able to walk away if you'll be honest with yourself today you'll be able to walk out those doors Knowing whether you are a disciple of Christ and if you are knowing what God's plan is for your life Now it's going to be there for you whether you accept it or not We're going to look at God's Word now. We're going to talk first about a word It's a four-letter F word. It's the biggest word in all of our lives. It's the word fear I've never been a woman But I've been told by one that I have spent the greatest part of my life with and the one that I came from that the greatest fear that a woman ever comes into contact with is the fear of being used or the fear of being abandoned. I'm a man. It comes to this great surprise to you. But man's greatest fear is a little bit different. A man's greatest fear is that of failure. Here's a group of disciples. Jesus has died. He's resurrected, but they don't know that. The the body's gone, that's what they know. And the women feel abandoned. And the men who have given up their whole careers, their whole lives, feel like they thought Jesus was going to reign as king right then. And when that didn't happen, now they feel like abject failures. And the Bible tells us that they're huddled all in a room. Why? Because they're afraid. Who are they afraid of? The Bible tells us they're afraid of the same people that had just killed Jesus Christ. So they're huddled up in a room with the door bolted. And they're afraid. Fear grips each and every one of us. And you say, it ain't on me. I ain't scared of nothing. I remember when I was a teenager, J.C. Penney had this line of clothing out. You remember? It was no fear. And I remember I had a shirt, and I wore it to work one day, and it said, no fear on it. And uh, my boss, I was just an apprentice that day. He looked at the 4160 wire that was in front of us. He said, no fear, huh? Touch that. (laughs) I didn't. Fear. Fear of man is our greatest problem. Besides sin, and sin leads to fear. You say, what do you mean fear of man? Let me give you a definition. This is when you replace God with people. Instead of taking a biblical outlook of the world and remembering that we must answer to God one day and be afraid of Him, we in turn are afraid of everybody else. Let me describe it in this way. When you confess sin. Does it worry you more to confess sin before God or before other people? If you answer the question, I'm much more scared before other people than you fear man. That's why we pray prayers like this when we're in public. And dear God, I want to pray for the sin that's in my life. You know what it is. Why don't we name it? Because if you knew what I did this week. What would you think of me? And the fact that we come so flippantly before a holy God. And yet want to hold back before people. Oh, this is a problem. You see, we have replaced God with other people. And we have just put God as nearly the Santa Claus image in our life that just kind of comes along and helps us when we need a help. He knows if you've been asleep. He knows if you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. We don't really believe that, though. He knows if I've been bad or good, and he can't do anything about it. Are you afraid of people, or are you afraid of God? It will really manifest itself in the way that you live your life. First, Jesus here has to deal with their fear. Before he can ever use them for his plan, he has to deal with their fear. And imagine the one that they watched get nailed to the cross. The one that they watched the spear go in his side. The one that they wrapped up with spices and put in a tomb. He walks in. And he says, come here boys, girls, come here. Imagine if he was here today. Say, come here. Look at it. Put your hand in there. Think it would have an impact on you? Here is a man who we saw beaten beyond recognition that he was even a man. That he was put on a cross and nailed there and we watched him die. We watched him go through things that we did not think a human being was possible to go through and now he's standing before us unscathed besides the marks that were given for the glory of the father here he stands and he's saying look guys your fear of man is just based on the fact that you think they can come in and take your life but let me tell you if you want to be my disciple you don't have to fear death any longer what you have to fear is your heavenly Father. Now the question is, do you have that fear? Or do you still feel, fear other people? In Hebrews 2, let's read this verse, these verses together. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, say this. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood... Jesus himself likewise also partook of the same. That's why he came here to earth. You with me? Say amen. Okay, good. Now, that through death he might what? Render powerless him who had the power of death, that is whom? The devil. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You're a slave. Have you ever heard the statement? How can you, you have freedom in Christ? What kind of freedom do you have in Christ? Freedom to not be afraid any longer. We have a little joke at our house that we watch commercials. We rate commercials whether they're based on fear or whether they're based on faith. Every one, every commercial is based on On these things and I would say 90% of them are based on fear. There's one where this girl got back from a date and she comes up and it's raining and they're, oh, they're, you know, exchanging little kissy-kissy before she goes in. And she goes in and suddenly her ex-boyfriend's at the door and knocks the door down and she screams and he runs off. And thank God they had a security system. The security system beeped and they called her and she said, are you okay mrs. so-and-so and And she says yes i am we're sending someone to make sure okay i'm like what if he had a gun she'd be dead i don't need a security system i need a rottweiler who will jump on him and he'll be there when the police get there see that's the world's. they won't you to be afraid you listen to the news today they want us to be afraid but what do I have to be afraid of nothing except for pleasing my heavenly father Oh, what if my wife leaves me well some people would say she's smart what if my kids turn out awful well they gotta make choices in life what if my what if they fire me at the church and I don't have a way to make a living well i can do something i'm not going to live my life in fear so jesus deals with that and it says the disciples when they saw it they rejoiced meaning they were content with what had happened and you say i don't believe that he rose from the dead well that's your choice you've got to come to the place of making a choice do you want to be a disciple of christ or don't you See, I have no problem with the people that say they don't want anything to do with Christ. Okay, I I get it. You don't believe. I get it. I understand. What I don't understand is the people on this side that say, oh, I believe in Christ, but yet live their lives for themselves and live in fear. And they're worried all the time. And all the worries of life just kind of take over their life. I don't understand that at all. Have you ever... Surrendered control of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, listen, this is a a very important point. It's about control. If you want control of your life, you've got a long, hard road of a lot of worry things that you can't control. And you're just going to kind of handle it. Mary Esther gave me uh, an article this week about them wanting to throw mirrors up in space so that they can control the climate change. If you think you've got to control climate change and rainfall and whether the plastic bottles go in the right place because if they die, we could all die. You're going to die, okay? You're going to. Get it. And when you die, you're going to have to stand in the presence of a holy God. Either you agree with that or not. Guys, if you are looking at phones on the back row i will come back there and i will take them from you this is important what i'm talking about and what i'm saying is every one of us whether we like it or not are going to have to deal with this am i a disciple of christ or do i think this is just a bunch of hooey? you've got to answer that question jesus deals with it here And it's interesting to me that after he deals with their fear, then he's got a call for their life. You see, most of us just believe that God saved us. He saved me. Aren't you glad? I'm hot up here. God saved me. Why? So I could go to heaven. Uh Uh-uh. That ain't it. He saved you for a purpose. Now, there is this heresy, I will call it, that there are three groups. There are the unsaved. There are the fanatical Christians, most of them being pastors. And then there's this group in the middle that they love Jesus, but they're not practicing. Right? But there's no evidence of this in the Bible at all. You see, the Bible just says there's two groups. There's those who have surrendered to themselves and those that have surrendered to the Lord. There's those that fear other people and they want to please other people. And then there's those that fear the Lord and seek to please Him. And you've got to come to the point of understanding where you, at least where you're at in it. If you can't even be honest enough to know where you're at, how can you do anything about it? You say, well, And and I I get it. I get the fact that most people do not like the way I preach because we want to get it to the point where you can't misunderstand what I'm saying. I want you to look straight at Jesus Christ and I want you to make a decision. Now, you still got to make a decision, but I want you to at least make an informed one. Amen? Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Paul kind of lays this out, this new plan for your life and for mine. Oh, look at these verses. It says, we also have as our what? What's our ambition? Whether at home, that's heaven, or absent, that's here, or however way you want to look at that, to be what? Okay, now, were you born with this desire? Anybody over here? Jenny, you said no. <laughs> Good. Anybody over here was born with the, the, the ambition to be pleasing to the Lord? No. Who was I ambitious to please when I was born? Sarah, who? Yeah, me. Number one. But he says, when you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, now I'm not interested. In my own ambitions, I'm interested. My ambition is to please him. It says this. For we must all, what? See, I've got it in my mind that one day I'm going to have to answer. Test day is coming. It's interesting to me that when we give tests in sunday school people freak out about tests why how much you reckon you'd have learned in school if you never took a test but we as christians don't like to think anything about a test why because see a test is accountability and accountability means i'm gonna have to answer we're all gonna have to answer write it down then it says this though therefore knowing the fear of what 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 do we do? Okay, now Paul's argument here is that if you fear the Lord, it will result in what? Persuading men. If you're a preacher, you want peace? You want lasting peace regardless of your circumstances. I'm going to lay out a roadmap. First, surrender control of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Fear Him alone. Second, follow His purpose for your life and not your own. Then it won't matter what comes into my life. Imagine the disciples that He's talking to. Every one of them besides the author, John, was martyred for the faith. Gave their life. This. Are you willing? You better fi- figure out what's worth dying for because if you don't figure out what's dying for, you'll never live for it. Let's look at the passage and see what God's plan is specifically in persuading men. Number one, every disciple of Christ has the same search. Everyone. The same goal, we're looking for the same thing. What are we looking for? We say, take out your bulletin. Who's got a worship bulletin here? Let's see. Who's got, hold it up. Let's see. Who's got one? Okay, now, Gracie, stand up. Look at the front of your worship bulletin. There's a a world on the front of that, isn't there? Now, around the world, there's writing. What is the writing? Okay, thank you. Y'all give her a hand. Our purpose statement for a church is what? Glorifying God, reaching the lost, and teaching the saved. What are we reaching the lost with? That's our search. Searching for lost, and we're, we're searching for saved. We're seeking to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. We're seeking to do what with the saved. Teach them how to reach the lost. The Bible's so hard. So difficult to understand what God's plan is. Here at the onset, look at the verse. It's 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 peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also what? So just as Jesus was incarnate on the earth. He wants to be incarnate again through our lives. That's what he wants. That as I live, breathe, eat, work, sleep, I do it all to point to him. Not just pastors. This is everyone who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone. And I've got, I'll let you in a little secret jesus himself said it is a very very small group it's not a huge group of not practicing it's not a whole group of people that are taking a break it's people that are sold out to the lord jesus christ you see there's no super christians and regular christians there's just disciples of christ And God wants you. He wants all of you. But He wants you for a purpose. And the purpose is not to raise your little family in peace and quiet. His goal for you may look very different than what your plan for you is. What did Jesus do? He was the light of the world, He sought to seek and to save the lost. He sought to do the Father's will, not his own. He had compassion for people. He had anger for sin. And he dealt with much persecution. Is that happening in your life at any degree? Oftentimes I find myself whining to my wife about things that are going on in my life, which are a direct result of me sharing Christ. And I should be happy. That in some small degree, I might be able to go through some persecution or suffering because of Christ. In 2 Corinthians five twenty and 21, Paul puts it like this. It's just a couple of verses from forward from what we just read. Therefore, we are what? What message does an ambassador have? The one who sent him's message, not his own. He doesn't come up with it along the way. No. It says, as, as though God were making an appeal through us. Let me put it to you this way. He says, we beg you. On behalf of Christ, won't you get right with God? And I'm saying to you today. I don't know where you're at. I know where some of you are at. I know there's some of us here that are just fooling ourselves and been playing church for a long time. I know there's some of you here that are really, really confused. I know there's some of you here that are in abject rebellion. Hey, I think I've gone through every one of those phases at least once in my life. But what I'm saying to you this morning is I'm begging you to look straight at Jesus Christ. There was a... Well, let me finish this verse. It says, He made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might be right with God in Him. There was a rich man in church, and the rich man didn't believe in evangelism or missions work. He said, If God wanted the heathen to be saved... He would reach down from heaven and save them. And they were taking up an offering and the usher put the plate in front of the man. And the man goes, no, I don't, I don't give towards evangelism. The usher leaned forward and he said, take some money then. This is for the lost. There's a point in that is the fact that there is no middle ground here, folks. Either you have surrendered control of your life to the Lord and you fear Him, and your whole life is to serve Him and His will, or you're still afraid of man and death, and you're seeking to do your own will after your own ambitions. And going to church on Sunday has little to do with it. You see, you can, Come here every week and die and go to hell. You can say, Amen, preacher! Die and go to hell. You can teach a Sunday school class. You can preach sermons. You can do miracles. You see, what you do is not the litmus test. It's who you know. Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, it's a relationship with him. You either have it or you don't. I said in the first service, when Sean and I were dating, it was great. People say, I know Jesus. Well, I knew Sean. But it wasn't until the day where I stood at an altar much like this and took her by the hand and said, till death do us part, that I made that commitment. See, you may know all about Jesus. You may know about the death, burial, and resurrection. You may know it all. But if there's never come a point where you say. You have it. I'm committing myself to you from here on out. Then you're not a disciple. But you can be. That's the whole point. If you are Christ's ambassador, then you have the same message and the same goal as him. Did he take a break? Was he not practicing for a few years, you know? The movie hasn't come out yet. The dark years of Jesus when he struggled with drug abuse and alcoholism and he ran around with a bunch of women. They try to say that, don't they? Why? We want to make him that because then we'll feel better about us. But you can redefine history however you want. It happened like it happened. Here's the fact. If you are truly right with God, then you want other people to be forgiven. There it is. Here's the test. A true disciple of Christ has divine power to obey the command. You ready? There's only three commands. Number one, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. All those are inward, right? But they come out in active ways by the third, go make disciples. Now, so you can... Are you obedient? You can really sum it down to how am I making disciples? Not how am I going to church, not how am I trying to do the best I can. How am I making disciples? Because a disciple is about making other disciples. Now let's go on to point two. Every disciple has the same search, every disciple of Christ has the same supply. It says in verse 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He's laying out the plan here. They don't actually receive the Holy Spirit for 40 more days until Pentecost. But here he's laying it out. There's symbolic language here pointing to Genesis 2-7. You remember Genesis 2-7? God had formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And then it says he breathed into his nostrils the... Breath of life, and man became a living soul. It says, now, Adam, you're here to have a relationship with me. Every day you will grow in this relationship with me, unless you disobey me and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I told you not to eat. Adam ate and died. Right then he died spiritually separated from God, which is the way each and every one of us are born. But later on, down the road, some 900 years, he died Physically. Jesus is coming here talking to the disciples and he's saying, I'm breathing on you the new life. You see, the presence of the Holy Spirit is what gives our feeble activities any kind of impact. Every week I look at my sermon and I say, oh, this is so weak compared to the riches of God's Word. I want to take you to a story. The story is in 1 Kings 18. You with me? You ready for a story? Let's do story time. On this side, I want you to imagine a big stone altar. Okay? You with me? You're in charge of this stone altar. Okay? You all are Baal worshipers. Okay? This side, there is a big stone altar. Now, y'all over here are Yahweh fans. Give it up for Yahweh. Y'all are Baal worshipers. I got nothing. <laughs> Elijah was the prophet of God. This side. Go, Elijah. Woo! Okay, this side, you have 300 prophets of Baal. They were going to have a sacrifice showdown. Went over here to the Baal altar and put wood on it. Went over here to the Yahweh. The Yahweh altar. Put wood on it. Went over here. What altar is this? Thank you. Put the animal on it. Over here. Put an animal on it. The test was fire. Nobody could put a fire on the sacrifice. But they had the altars, they had the wood, they had the animals, and they had passion. Oh, this group over here, y'all are pitiful Baal worshippers because they had passion. Okay? They had passion that lasted for hours and hours. They were praying to Baal. Oh, please, Baal. I don't know how it went. But they were praying to Baal. So much so that. Elijah says, hey, get a little louder. Maybe he's asleep. He's taunting them. So then they start cutting themselves. And then he says, well, maybe Baal's on vacation. Oh, shut up. Nothing came. They go over here to Elijah. He says, are you done yet? He says, we're done. No fire. He says, uh. I'm really concerned whether God's powerful enough to do this. He said, so, I want one of you to come up here and dig a trench about two feet deep all the way around the altar. Then bring about 500 gallons of water, and I want you to dump it on the whole sacrifice. And then he says, hold on, y'all watching? He prays a 62-word prayer, and fire comes down from heaven, licks up the, the sacrifice, the wood, and all the water around the altar what was the difference the difference was the power of god they both had all the religious activities they all they both had passion but without the power of the holy spirit we're sunk we can meet like this every week and it not mean nothing unless the power of the holy spirit is on this thing and that starts here and flows to you Jesus says this in John 16, 7 and 8. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Is the Holy Spirit indwelling you? You should have an indicator light on you somewhere. You have to find it. You do. You do. It's located a little below your eyes, below your nose, and above your chin. What is it? It's your mouth. You see, what flows from your mouth really is the indicator light of who's in control of your heart. And really, you could say that it really comes out in the midst of turmoil. You see, because if, the Holy Spirit indwells you, you're going to have peace even in the midst of things that the whole rest of the world falls apart. If you're truly right with God, your your desire is to be to depend on him, okay? That's the fact. Does it always come out? I don't know. You have to deal with that in your own life. The test is Are you trying to work out your own situation or are you willing to wait on God to work your situation out? I see this so much today. I see it most of the time in marriage. People having a hard time in their marriage and they want out. You know, God would want me to be happy. I want to throw up. How are you going to be happy? You're going to be happy by being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you be obedient to the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of the Holy Spirit, the ambition of my life is to please Him, not myself. So where did we go wrong? When did it become about me again? Well, I don't feel like it. I don't like that. I don't know. Oh-huh, oh-huh. Let's move to the last point, because this is a big one. Every Christian of Christ has the same search, has the same supply, and has power over sin. You are not a Christian if you cannot control the sinful desires of your life. And let me tell you this. If you're not a Christian, then there's no way, and you need to be honest with this. I've got no way to control these things that are going on in my life. If you say, my whole life seems like it's out of control, maybe it is. But know that that just points to the fact that you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can. But as long as your whole life's out of control, and you keep saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and there's no evidence of it in your life, then you can't. It can't be dealt with at all. Jesus' work in this world was to totally annihilate sin by the sacrifice of himself. 1 John 3, 5 says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is uh, no sin. This verse, verse 23, the Catholic Church has taken this verse to mean that you have to go into a little confessional booth. And you have to tell the priest what you did wrong and then the priest will tell you what you need to do to get it right that's not what he's speaking of here he's speaking of here the holy spirit is the one that convicts the world of sin and the way that he does this is through the the lives of christians it, as you deal with your own personal sin as you deal with your own righteousness before god as you remember judgment's coming this is a testimony to the whole lost world he Paul refers to this in 2 Corinthians 2, 15, where he says, For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, the aroma of death. To the other, the aroma of life. And who is adequate for these things? Are you? I'm not. But the Bible says that I have a stink to me. Okay? Go ahead. You have a free shot. Check it out. You have a fragrance. You're putting off a fragrance first to God, but you're also putting off a fragrance to other people. Paul is speaking here from a Christian perspective. He said, if I'm living my life, not for my own ambition but for his, and I'm seeking to do God's will, not my own, for some people this is going to be life. It's going to smell like life to them. Some people it's going to smell like death. I heard it said like this, the same heat that melts the wax hardens the clay I don't know where you're at in it whether you're clay or wax but what i'm saying is that the only thing you got is the word of god and the life of other believers do you have power over sin in your life or is it just out of control and you have no power over it if you're truly right with god then you cannot live a lifestyle of Sin are you hearing me? you Cannot live a lifestyle of sin. Here's the test a True disciple of God does not try to get God's approval for their sin When you come to church Is that what you're seeking to do you're either here of one or two reasons you're either here seeking for repentance forgiveness from God or you're coming here seeking approval for your sinful lifestyle. Each one of us has one of those two motives. I don't know where you're at. But I sure hope it's the former. Are you a disciple of Christ? Or are you still afraid of other people? Do you have a purpose for your life? Or are you still trying to work out your own ambition? It really comes down to that. David Livingston who was a missionary to Africa, and he wrote this song. Most of the time, it's sung as a missions text. However, it's not a missions text at all. It's a Christian text. This is the call for every child of God. It may be the best prayer of salvation that I have ever read. I'm going to read it to you. You ready? Here's what it The Jesus people, I mean the Yahweh people are ready. How about you Baal folks, you ready? He wrote this. Lord, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. Sever any tie. Save the tie that binds me to thy heart. Lord Jesus, my king. I consecrate my life, Lord, to thee. That is a disciple of Christ's prayer. What ties are you holding back? Are you willing to sever, cut off any tie in my life, any relationship in my life, if it's going to hinder me from carrying out God's purpose in my life? Or if you come to God With areas that you're not willing to give over. I don't know. But I can guarantee you this. You. And I. Will never know true peace. Until we give it all to him. Until I realize that my next breath. I have really no control over. If I realize that if he wants to take my life tomorrow. That's well within. Is right. If I realize that whether riches or fame. May never come my way. That's okay. Because. Regardless of sickness or pain. I can serve him. And I can have peace. Right in the middle of it. I've learned as a pastor. That I can even have peace. On deacons meeting nights. I can even have peace. When funerals come. I can have peace when all these things seem to be falling apart in my life. I can even have peace when people betray me. Why? Because I understand that they're sinful just like I am. And I can look, I can get up on another day and say, God, here's another day for your glory. Where are you at in your peace? You can have it today if you'll just give your life to the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, the opportunity is here for you. The choice is yours. I would tell you, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. The Bible also says that no one who has ever given their life to Christ has ever been disappointed. (laughs) If you're here and you say, I gave my life to Christ a long time ago, but I think I've slid back into the chair of trying to please people. Confess it as sin before God. Get it right. Move forward. This is an invitation. This is your time to deal with your heart before God. Father, we we offer this to you as a sacrifice of praise. May you work in our hearts as you see fit. May we surrender to you as you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand, heads bowed, eyes closed? The altar is open. Let's do some business with God. The Savior is waiting.